Hey, Lover Bears. Welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon. I am your other host, Angel. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. Because making sense of things only makes things worse so basic (laughs) so basic so basic making sense yeah it it doesn't it doesn't make sense to try to make sense of things you just have to experience them and yes you can find lessons from all of your experiences but i find it's best to just focus on experiencing them first and foremost i'd like to experience who you are would you introduce yourself Yeah, I'm Angel Lopez. I am a writer, a film producer, and an astrologer, and a tarot teacher, reader, healer, metaphysicist. Mm, A metaphysicist. Yes. Do you have like a PhD in in engineering for to do that? I know. Oh, okay. It was an unaccredited school. Oh, I love I love those. Those are my favorite <laughs> kinds of school. Yes. You know, the school of life is also unaccredited. Exactly, and I do have a PhD in that. Well, all the best teachings are there. Mm-hmm. And who are you? I'm Brandon Alter. I am an astrologer and a tarot reader and a spiritual healer. I'm a teacher of all of these things. I am a writer and a performer. And today I'm just a broken, sad person. Yes. You are. <laughs> yeah. You're broken, but it's beautiful. I'm broken, but it's beautiful. Uh, yeah. And we are husbands. Oh, right. Yeah. We're married. Spiritual gays. Been married a long time. Been together even longer. Yeah. And, uh, and yes, we're both broken, but beautiful. Yeah. So for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, what a strange episode to join us on. Uh, We will be doing a deep dive later into the fourth house of astrology, continuing our Astrology Untucked series. But for those of you that have been with us for a little while or a long while, we have to address the elephant in the room, which is that literally a week ago, Angel and I lost our beloved Noche. And Noche was our dog, but so much more than our dog. Noche was the third member of the spiritual gaze, and so many of you in this community had a deep connection to him, whether you heard him on the podcast (laughs) or you met him in person, if you came over for a reading or a healing or even our retreat last year Mm -hmm. or during our classes or workshops. I mean, Noche in some ways was like the glue (laughs) that held this family together. And of course, we're going to stay together because we love each other. (laughs) Are we announcing our (laughs) divorce? (laughs) But we're both just fucking gutted. And it was a bit sudden. And we just felt like it would be of value to kind of connect the dots for all of you. And because we can't help but approach everything through a spiritual lens, just kind of speak about our own spiritual perspectives through moving through this. And obviously it's like, very fresh and excruciatingly painful, but this is how we roll. So I think we're just going to, in lieu of a check-in, because obviously, like, how are you doing? Not well, bitch. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, We just kind of speak openly and honestly about what we've been going through in the last few weeks, because obviously we mentioned in our last podcast that Noche wasn't doing well, that there were some health issues. Yeah. We didn't know the severity, honestly. No, we did not. So, we knew that there were like um, definitely some like major changes going on in him, and we were practically at a vet every day, <laughs> every other day, uh, trying to address the various things that kept popping up, and um, we were chasing answers, and we couldn't get them. And for the last year or so, Noche had had like chronic diarrhea, which was very unpleasant for all three of us. And we tried many different foods and we just couldn't seem to get to the bottom of it. So after running a whole range of blood tests and nothing showing anything remarkable, the vet decided 
that maybe an abdominal ultrasound was going to be the most illuminating thing for us to do. So literally just two weeks ago, we got an abdominal ultrasound and they discovered a pretty advanced mass in his colon, which does not bode well for a 12-year-old dog. But again, like Noche was pretty high energy still. And even though he'd lost a couple of pounds, we were still able to like get some food in him. So we scheduled this appointment with an internist who specializes in this sort of stuff. And I will share this funny story because I think it is very funny, which is that I reached out to my friend, Sorel, who is very well connected in like the animal rescue community here in Los Angeles. And I told her what was going on. And she mentioned that she had a Pilates client named Stacy, who was even more well connected and that she would reach out to find out, you know, what was maybe the best doctor to go see. So Sorel told me that Stacy said, you have to go see this one doctor in West Hollywood. He is the best and gave me the phone number to call. So the next morning after we got this diagnosis about the, the mass in the colon, I called this vet hospital and I told them what was going on. And I said, I would really love to schedule with this doctor. Um, I hear he's the best. And the receptionist said, yes, he is the best. And that's why, you know, it's really hard to get in with him. Would you be willing to see any other doctor? And I said, yes, of course, like time is of the essence. But Stacy mentioned that if I said her name, it might make a difference to this doctor and, and how we might be able to get in. And so then there was just like this moment of silence. And then all of a sudden the receptionist was like, how's next Wednesday at 9 a.m.? And I was like, that's great. So just like having this particular name was such an L.A. moment that just kind of like opened up this portal for us. And so it was on Angel's birthday, but we were just kind of like holding this appointment as as the finish line, you know, like if we can just get to this appointment, we'll get some answers and we'll be able to like treat what's going on. So the week between finding the mass in his colon and this doctor's appointment was really when things started to decline. Noche was barely eating, and that is very unusual for Noche, who would literally eat anything. And I was making him chicken and rice, and he just was really struggling. And he was obviously nauseous, and now we kind of understood that he obviously felt like there was like something foreign inside of him because there was this mass in his colon. And so about a day or so before this final appointment which we didn't know was going to be the final appointment, um, his breathing just started to get really labored. And we were having trouble sleeping because we were so anxious about it. And we struggled with like, should we take him to like an emergency hospital? But we didn't want to miss out on this appointment. And so we just ended up kind of making it through. And on Angel's birthday in the rain, we drove to West Hollywood to this appointment. And it was there that we started to get some more answers about what was going on. So the first thing that the doctor said is that he noticed that there was like a neurological issue, which we were like, is this just, you know, like dehydration or lack of nutrition? But he was like, we just got to hold on to him. We got to run some tests so we really know what's going on. And so we left and tried to make the best of Angel's birthday with mimosas and shopping at Bloomingdale's, just trying to distract ourselves. And then we got a call a couple hours later from this doctor who said that he had found that there was fluid in his lungs and that this was an indication that there was probably disease not just in the colon but elsewhere and that at this point it really wasn't treatable. I mean, he basically told us that like if Noche were a human at this point, they would have to intubate him. I mean, it was just like beyond the pale. So at this point, we're in a Nordstrom. <laughs> we are inconsolable angel's sister is with us lisa who is an angel so we tell the doctor like just give us a couple minutes to like understand what we want to do and how we want to move forwards which is really just like are we going to engage in in euthanasia because there's really nothing else that you can do and the doctor said to us that like ordinarily you would be able to sit in a room with Noche and we would come and administer the drugs. But because his breathing was so labored, he was in this like little oxygen chamber, like this little like hyperbaric plastic box where they were pumping oxygen in. So they really couldn't take him out. Before we even have a chance to call him back, like three minutes later, we get a call from the doctor and he just tells us that he just heard from his text that just like Noche stopped breathing, just like on his own, just like naturally just like stopped. And did we want to perform like heroic measures to resuscitate him? And Angel and I both like screamed like, no, like this is a blessing that he passed like easily. Um, 
we don't want to like traumatize him further because obviously his comfort was our number one priority. And then we were just in hell and Angel and Lisa hung out at the mall with each other. I got keys to the car and literally got into the trunk of the car and crawled into a fetal position and sobbed my guts out. And then Angel and Lisa came to the car trying to find me and didn't know where I was. And then they heard me and I like pressed the button on the key and like the trunk opened (laughs) and there I was, which is very funny. Um, And then we went and just like basically said goodbye. And I'm Jewish, so I'm not much for seeing the body, but Angel and Lisa are Catholic and that's part of their tradition. So they were able to kind of do last rites. And I know Angel had a special moment alone with Noche. And we've just been in this place of like deep grief and shock, honestly. So it did come as a surprise. And yeah, both Angel and I intuitively understood that like something not good was happening. I think Angel more so than me because I just didn't want to admit it. You know, like you can be as intuitive as you want to be. But if you don't like the truth, you can certainly hide it from yourself. And that's certainly, I think, what I was doing over the last week or so. But now, you know, in hindsight, we understand that like this last week, like Noche was dying here at the house. Like his his body, his sweet little body was just unable to to fight that disease any longer. And it brings me great comfort just to know that like he was here, living his normal life, getting all the love from us, getting all the treats. And Angel was the one that said that he kind of just like magicked into our life very unexpectedly. And then he just kind of magicked out. The one thing I just want to say, because I can't help but look at everything through a spiritual lens, that's why I'm one of the spiritual gays, is just that there was this moment on Wednesday, on Angel's birthday, we were outside at the Century City Mall. Lisa was giving Angel his birthday gifts. And it had rained in the morning, but the rain cleared. And there were these like big fluffy clouds that were kind of like passing in front of the sun. And then passing away from the sun and the whole quality of the light would change so dramatically. And I remembered a couple days before my mom passed, her therapist of like 20 years came to the hospital room and my mom was mostly gone at that point mentally, but she was like this like pure little child spirit. And she kept asking her therapist for a prayer circle. And so we all held hands. My mom's oncologist was there and and my mom's hospital room had these big windows and the light in that hospital room was doing that same thing where it was like changing really dramatically at key moments. And it almost felt like the sky was opening up. And so I remembered that moment last Wednesday when we were sitting outside and I just felt how the quality of the light, but also something invisible was the same And in that moment, I just kind of knew where we were headed. I knew that like the angels were coming in or the veil between the worlds was getting thin. Something was happening and that Noche was going to go. And it wasn't 15 minutes later that we got that call from, from the doctor. And I can't necessarily say that like it brings me a lot of comfort at this moment But it does help me in some way just to feel that like there is this invisible hand that kind of organizes all things. And that when we left Noche, even though we didn't know it was the last time we were going to see him, we asked if we could like be taken into the back to like, you know, say see you later or what have you. And he was in that little oxygen box. And I just asked my mom to be with him. I was like, I can't be with him right now. Like you need to be with him. And so obviously like, We're too close, we're too in it to fully understand like the greater web of it. But I think both Angel and I have been able to like glimpse these threads of meaning, of sense, of a, like I always talk about this like invisible hand that kind of organizes things for our best benefit, even if we can't understand what that is. Even in the sense that like it was Angel's birthday. But we'd had like a dinner plan with some of his like best, closest friends. So they were like on call. So like that night when we were like at our fucking worst, they all came over to the house. Like they were available and ready to be there for us. So just these little things, you know, that have just kind of helped us along in some ways. I know it's painful for Angel to relive all of this and to hear me talk about it. I have a Capricorn moon, so I can compartmentalize a little bit better. I just think it's important for all of you 
just to feel like you're brought along so you can understand, you know, because it is a shock and it does feel like the rug was pulled out from under us and you might feel that way too. And there's no way to change that feeling, but at least maybe now you have a little bit more context. Yeah. And I'm sure every loss, death that anyone listening has experienced, even if you are sitting by their side for days, weeks, months on end, knowing that the day will come, it still feels like a rug being pulled out from under you. And yeah, those last couple weeks were really hard. That last week was extremely hard. And that day is one of the worst of my life. And I never want to have to relive it again, but I appreciate Brandon wanting to share it with you all. Um, but but yeah, just I just hate this and it's extremely sad. But like Brandon said, there were a lot of really beautiful moments and I think I did have a stronger acceptance in those last few days that we were heading toward a destination that we could not avoid and that we had gotten to a place where there was going to be nothing we could do. And so we were just trying to bring him more peace and, and more joy. And for me, like in those last few days, I kept telling myself, I kept getting this, this thought that I need to watch a sunset with Noche. Like we have to watch a sunset and it's been very cold here, very rainy, and I was afraid that I wouldn't get to do that. I was like, oh, well, we'll do that the night before my birthday. And then it got rainy again. I was afraid it wasn't going to happen. And we were actually teaching a class um, that sort of goes right into the sunset time. So I just didn't think it would happen. And those of you who were in our astrology class, um, were there for the moment toward the end where I had to get up and leave because Noche was showing that he needed to go outside. And so I, I got up and, and took him out. And it was, it was the sunset, and we were walking around the house, and I always just kind of chatted with him while we <laughs> walked around. And we got around the side of the house to where our great big view is. And the, there was a real sunset happening on the, on the mountains that just create all these beautiful colors. And, and I just sat down there and, and he actually just kind of looked at me and I was like, we're getting our sunset, no, Jay? Like, look. And I really, really took that moment in. It took in his big soulful eyes looking at me and then really looking back toward the mountain. And I just like pet him and just told him how grateful I was for all the sunsets we got to watch together and just how much I loved him. And I did have just the thought of like, this could be our last sunset together. And I'm just so grateful that the universe, that somehow we were able to have it. And in a way, it felt like it was his, his doing, right? He like pulled me out of the house to it. And I had to have a lot of great little moments like that with him, even on that last morning. And, you know, you can feel like at peace in some ways about these things, but... And you can certainly start to hypothesize the spiritual lessons, but at the end of the day, none of it, none of those things are comfort or as great as the actual just physical loss that takes time. So, yeah, we're only a week out. It's all taking time. And... Yeah, as strange as it was to have that be on my birthday, uh, 
we were able to make great light of it by joking that Noche was a Leo and always had to kind of make every situation <laughs> about him. So he was going to let me know that, uh, you know, forevermore uh, I'd be celebrating my birthday with him in some way. So I guess I just want to say thank you to everyone who sent us such beautiful messages um, when they heard about the loss. A lot of you, yeah, did get to meet him and were touched by him and just even loved his adorable little face. So thank you all so much. And um, yeah. Yeah, but I think you bring up a good point, which is having a spiritual practice, living life spiritually, whatever that means. It doesn't magically make life better. It doesn't take away the hurt and the pain. For me, spirituality just allows me a greater sense of acceptance. It doesn't lessen the pain but I just don't fight what is. Yeah. Like whether it was my mom passing or even Noche passing, I don't know why it had to happen this way, but I know that it did have to happen this way. Like I don't fight that. Yeah. And that helps me. And I also think that being spiritually resourced just helps an impossible situation become a little bit more manageable. You know, I mean, like we are absolutely insane to even be doing a podcast today <laughs> and even talking about this, right? Like we're insane. Yeah. But also like there's a strength, there is a, a spiritual resourcing that comes from outside of us that we're able to to tap into. And that's that's the value of a spiritual life. It doesn't make things make sense. It doesn't make things go your way. It just gives you a little bit of oomph when other people might not know where to pull from. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think those of you who have stuck around with us or who enjoy our show, uh, enjoy our directness and our openness. And yeah, we might not ever become the number one podcast because we're not just giving you kind of like shiny veneer. But I think, um, What's nice to know is that we're the number one podcast for the people who really fucking get it. I thought you were say, like, <laughs> we're the number one podcast in, like, Sweden. <laughs> well, we might be in Iceland. In Iceland, right. <laughs> we rank really high in Iceland, everybody. Thank you. So thank you to our Icelandic listeners. But uh, but anyhow, so, um, but yeah, that's not the point, right? And that's ultimately why not why we do this. Um, we do this to share our spiritual experience and i actually had to i've been uh going back and trying to source all the original files for the first 20 episodes of our show because they're not actually on spotify um because of a a thing they did when they switched over year a couple years ago so if you listen to us on spotify you've actually never heard the first 20 episodes though i just put the very first episode up um titled Jupiter in Scorpio. <laughs> it's a long time ago. <laughs> I know. Um, but it was just crazy for me to post that too even and like hear like Noche introducing himself like within the first 15 seconds of it barking and us introducing him. And so, you know, it's the end of an era. It's it's the turning point here for us and uh, in a pretty challenging way. It's it's a total Jupiter cycle, which is interesting, I realized, because we had Noche for 12 years. Um, so Jupiter must have been in Aries when we got Noche. So just like you said, he magicked his way in, Aries, and then magicked his way out. <laughs> but he's uh, his magic is forever in us, in the show, in our house, in my head, in my heart. And soon on my body when I get a Noche <laughs> portrait tattoo. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. Ta-da. Okay. There you have it. <laughs> That's it. The saddest opening get to on the an floor episode. And cry with us. Ever. Please feel free to do so. Uh, before yeah. we head into our deep dive in the fourth house, we thought we would try to 
brighten the mood. To swing it all the way the other side. So even if you don't care about reality television, just listen. Just listen. <laughs> just give it a try. Gonna make it our just most it entertaining one yet. In this episode's Dose, Dose of, of Reality. reality. Where to begin? I think we where we need to begin is that we have completed a Herculean task. We really have. <laughs> I don't know if it's something to be shouting from the rooftops. I'm very proud of us. Well, I'm. A, I have to say, I'm very proud of myself because I I went deep. Brandon yes. jumped in, but uh, back in November when I uh, contracted the coves, I. Uh, laid up in bed and was like i want to watch something and i really kind of like stumbled upon i don't even remember was like some like the best real housewives episodes of all time i think i was gonna like go back and watch like an old beverly hills or something and it was i was reminded of like one of the episodes from like the first season of real housewives of new jersey which i only watched the first two seasons of and then vacated so i was like oh maybe i'll go back and watch that it then spiraled me into watching i guess what season are we on now? 13? So I watched, I started watching season three. I watched, I think like seasons three through five. I skipped six because I heard it was unnecessary. I just watched some of the clips, but then I jumped back into seven and I basically had been watching the whole series and then Brandon jumped in, I think like season seven or eight, probably. It was the season when Daniel Staub came back and they all went to Italy. Yes. <laughs> Which I kind of secretly did, you know, sneakily watch on the big TV knowing, well, if Brandon walks in and sees Danielle Staub, all bets are off. Oh, so you manipulated me. Slightly. <laughs> I was in the high vibe of Aries because I went through the portal of Libra <laughs> and wanted to share my joyful experience with you. Well, you hooked me. <laughs> so then since then. Well, Dolores Catania. Well, yes, Dolores Catania, queen of queens. And so since then, we have literally been making our way through the Real Housewives of New Jersey to get to the present day. And literally last night, we finally caught up with this current season. Yes. We're still a, a few episodes behind. I think like two or three episodes behind. Just two. Just two. Two episodes behind. But yeah. It's pretty insane. And I got to say, this new season definitely has redeemed it a little bit because those yeah. last two seasons were rough they like, were very rough this new life that they've brought in with these new housewives was necessary to kind of shake things up i know danielle cabral who i think is like my favorite housewife currently of them all well dolores dolores always gonna be my I favorite mean, dolores catania is so gorgeous <laughs> sometimes i know and has recently admitted to being on ozempic now i have a lot of feelings about this but i will say she is the first the literal first celebrity period, except mm -hmm. for maybe Rosie O'Donnell, who has admitted publicly to being on Ozempic. And actually, Rosie O'Donnell wasn't on Ozempic. She was on, what is it, Monsaro? Or Manjaro. Manjaro. So I got to say, good for Dolores Catania, who just like at least is open and saying like, you know, yes, I'm skinny as hell and it's because of Ozempic. Well, and she said, I didn't want to be the biggest one at the, the reunion, one at the reunion, but, and basically then threw all the others under the bus, that by they're saying, all on but it. like everyone else already was on it. Yeah. So, so I don't necessarily support what she's doing, but I support her transparency around it. Yes. You can, um, admire that. Yeah. She owns it. She really, no, she it. always has always will. Yep. She's uh, a double Capricorn, we realized. She's a Capricorn sun, Capricorn moon. Yeah. And her sun is one degree away from my moon, which is why I feel so connected. That's why y'all love each other so much. My heart loves her soul. She'll love you. I love that. Yeah. I love that you just said that's why we all love each other so much. Like she doesn't know who I well, am. She will. And, hi, uh, little Brandon. Hi, little Frankie. Hi, little Frankie. <laughs> oh, my God. Dolores Catania, <laughs> you're a dream come true. Um, if you got the chance to vote one of the ladies off the Jersey shore for next season, who would it be? Me? Yeah. Who would I vote off? Yes. Okay. I have my answer. Okay. Melissa Gorga. Oh, here's why. Let yeah, me tell why? you my thought process. So first I was like, let me get rid of Jen because she is so annoying and she's just like, 
a hot mess and too big for her britches. But the truth is, is that like we need her brand of drama to keep the show engine going. And so then I thought, well, let's get rid of Teresa because Teresa has been on for too long and she's so immovable and she's always like on the wrong side of history that maybe we should see what the Real Housewives of New Jersey would be without her. But the truth is, there is no Real Housewives of New Jersey without Teresa. I saw like a meme that said like the reason why Teresa has never had like another show like her own show is because the Real Housewives of New Jersey is her show. She doesn't need another show. And it's true. Like in a way that like is beyond Vanderpump or Kyle Richards of Beverly Hills, beyond Vicky Gunvalson of the OC. Like when you think New Jersey, you just think Teresa Giudice. Like there's just no way around it. So I was like, then at least let's get rid of Melissa Gorga and Joe Gorga, really. Like, I can't have Joe Gorga on my television anymore because it's that, like, sibling familial relationship that is dragging the fucking show down. So if you get rid of Melissa Gorga, who frankly is not that additive at the end of the day. Like, she had her time. She ain't bringing it anymore. She's so fame-obsessed. She's, like, always calculating. That's, That's what I would do. I would just get rid of Melissa Gorga, and I think it would change the energy a bit of the group. Yeah. No, I think that's good. I think I, she would be my second choice, but actually my first choice would be to get rid of Teresa. Really? But for a season. Just for a season? I would have her take a break for a season and just see what everyone does. Without her. Without her. Right. Because I think everyone would show their ass. Like, you know, Jennifer Aiden really has no friends except her. So it's like without her, what does she do? You know, I'd just be curious to see how and melissa has no storyline really without her like there's just a lot that circulates around her so i would just be curious to see what they all do and become because then i think you could by the end of that season have a real sense of who's who and who's actually got an interesting life worth following and then throw her back in the mix and be like hey everybody what's been going on so I don't know. That'd be where I would want to go with it. Yeah. Maybe get rid of both of them. Yeah. You probably need to get rid of both of them, honestly. Um, Well, we'll see what happens through this season. And then I think the other big reality piece to talk about since we have some time before is the drag race. Sasha Colby. Sasha Colby, Sasha Colby. Oh, I was, I was just hoping you were gonna if you start by um, say her name three times, she appears and blesses <laughs> you. Mother, um, I was afraid you were gonna just start singing that terrible song, but you don't do it. Anywhere, <laughs> oh, I should have given everyone Le a warning, loose. a volume warning. I mean, Lucy Laduca is the most spectacular disaster (laughs) that we have gotten on drag race in a while (laughs) like she has the same sort of like inflated self-confidence without grounding that the character of samantha jones had oh my gosh yeah like it's that same level of just like in your own world and it's very entertaining to watch and that song that she released on Spotify, <laughs> it literally starts at an 11 and it ends at a 14. Like it just is relentless. Yeah. Not unlike her personality. Oh my God. Well, exactly. It was the perfect just expression of her <laughs> personality in a song. Um, but I'm glad she's not making it to the final four. And I'm ready to just crown Sasha Colby, our queen of all queens for all time. Yeah, me too. I mean, I I actually really like the top four. I like all of them. Agreed. Yeah, I think it's a great top four. But at this point, it does really feel like Sasha Colby's in a whole other category than the others. Uh, Yeah, and we've had that experience before. You know, like when Bianca was crowned, Mm -hmm. when Chad Michaels was crowned and that original All-Stars. Like there's just like, oh, um, when Jinx was crowned even. Mm-hmm. Like there are just certain seasons where the winner is just clear from the jump. They're just in a they're just a different level from yeah. everybody else. And I think Sasha Colby, just based on her soul, but also just based on like her experience, like she just is she deserves the crown. She deserves to win. Yeah, I agree. I know that 
Anitra is like just as popular as her. We love Anitra. And Anitra's phenomenal. Spectacular, amazing. But uh, to me, if for Anitra to beat out Sasha Colby would just feel wrong. Like I feel, I feel like Anitra is an amazing all-stars winner. Also, after that last challenge where they did the music video, yeah. like Sasha Colby just brought it in every single way from the lyrics to her verse to her performance in the video to those looks. Like she just made it clear that there is no other winner. Oh, yeah, I agree. Like she is someone who like, I'm like, yeah, put her on the judges panel. Give her a show. Let yeah. her replace RuPaul when RuPaul is t- <laughs> ready to take a nap. <laughs> Did you see that that was like a April Fool's thing that went around on Twitter? No. What? It was like RuPaul has announced like her retirement from Drag Race. It will just be called Drag Race US and Sasha Colby will be taking her place. I mean, great. I don't know. I still want to see Raven do it. I would like to see them do maybe like. I think, didn't I joke that that would be like a great season? Oh, yeah. No, you mentioned that on the show. You want an all-star season where the prize is to be the next RuPaul, (laughs) the host of Drag Race. Yeah, no, it's a spectacular. It's amazing. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, I will be um, making my short list of queens who I think should replace RuPaul. And then I'll run it through my Drag Race simulator that has gotten me through my grief online. Here's the thing about drag that separates the like really good drag from like the incredible drag. And it really is about the revelation of the soul because drag is an art form. So you can be an incredible technical drag queen and you can beat your face and you can know the lyrics and you can have the looks, but you have to know how to unleash your soul. Mm -hmm. And Sasha Colby knows how to do that. Jinx Monsoon knows how to do that. Sasha Velour knows how to do that. Even Selena Estides, when we saw her lip sync, we saw her soul. Totally. And that is really, as far as I'm concerned, what I'm coming to a drag show for. Because, yes, I love the fashion and I love the looks and I love the beauty. But really, the drag that stays with me and that has always stayed with me is the drag that is spiritual and soulful and luminous in a way that goes beyond just hair and makeup and nails. Well... I don't think you were purposely doing this, but that's actually a perfect segue into our conversation about the fourth house, which begins with that I see the doorway to the soul. So without further drag race chit chat, it's time for this episode's <laughs> Deep, Deep Dive. You better beware, let loose, let loose. Uh, okay, thanks for that. <laughs> thanks. Um, so yeah, we are talking about the fourth house of astrology today, and I actually wanted to open with a quote. Oh. I know you love a quote. I love, I love a quote. It's so, so literary. <laughs> yeah, so this is from... Uh, Gary Zukoff, who uh, had written a book called The Seat of the Soul. Those of you who are in your 40s and watched Oprah will remember Gary Zukoff. He was on Oprah a lot. Is he the one that like went to heaven on the wings of a butterfly? Mm, I don't think that's Gary Zukoff. Got I it. believe that's somebody else. Do you know wrote. what I'm talking about, though? Yeah, right? I think he wrote, I forgot the name of the book that that guy wrote, but this is a different person. Uh, Gary Zukoff wrote a book called The Seat of the Soul. Got it. And um, was heavily featured. He was kind of like Oprah's Eckhart Tolle before she found Eckhart Tolle. Um, But he has a quote that says, every experience that you have and will have upon the earth encourages the alignment of your personality with your soul. Every circumstance and situation gives you the opportunity to choose this path, to allow your soul to shine through you to bring into the physical world through you its unending and unfathomable reverence for and love of life. And to me, that is like a perfect entryway into our conversation about the fourth house. 
because the fourth house is where you take all of the real tangible, earthly lessons and experiences you've had about yourself, your identity, and then have to really ground them and root them into a more soulful understanding of who you are. Yeah, and I think even to just meditate on the symbology of where the fourth house is located in the chart and to speak to the IC. And the IC is that angle at the bottom of the chart. So if you imagine like within a circle is a T, is a cross, right? And the line at the bottom, that's the IC. So it's the roots of the tree and that's the gateway to the fourth house. And IC stands for Ilium Coli, which is Latin. But it's also sometimes sorry, referred what, to... I'm not going to say it what, again. What, what I'm was, not a Latin scholar. What was... <laughs> Ilium coli? Ilium coli? What'd you call me? Ilium coeli? Ilium coeli? Who? Any of it. It's known... Wasn't she on Drag Race Season 7? It's known... Oh, okay. That would... <laughs> that would be a great drag name, actually. Figuring <laughs> that out in some way. It's called the I see, or sometimes it's <laughs> called the I don't see, right? Because it is the deepest part of the chart. It's the roots of the tree. It's what's hidden. If you think about the four angles of a chart, the ascendant is where the sun rises. The midheaven is high noon. The descendant is where the sun sets. And the I see is when the sun is literally the most hidden. And so it's almost like the presence of an absence, right? Like at midnight, you are aware that the sun is not anywhere to be found. And so if those first three houses are the the personality and the understanding of our resources and what we value in our mind, now we're moving into a deeper sense of ourself, which is which is the soul and potentially an understanding of not just our soul but the soul of our ancestry, our family, past lives, things of that nature. So just kind of even seeing where we are in the chart might help you start to intuit your own significations for this territory that we're going to be covering in the deep dive. Yeah, and like you mentioned, like the angles, right? Like these four angles, we talked about the ascendant back in our first house episode. But these angles are like really the four major portals of life experience. Honey, they're the fault lines. They are completely. So you're really... Yeah, so they, you know, you're really moving into a deeper layer of of your life experience and a real a deeper sense of understanding who you are and how to move through your life in this world. So from a more general sense, you know, that fourth house represents, you know, our connection to family uh, our sense of home and what home means to us, the past, our ancestors, our lineage. But really, like, there is a connection to, you know, the soul because of that entry point of the IC. And we can also get an understanding of endings and how we approach endings in our life through the fourth house. Yeah. But I think, yeah, the like the family and the familial piece of it is probably the most potent, right? Well, it's the most well-known. I think like people go to the fourth house for an understanding of their childhood, their attitude towards nurturing, um, and understanding of what feels like home. Mm -hmm. So like the sign that rules your fourth house can give you an indication of like what you really value in home. Like what does home right. mean for you, right? So if Capricorn rules your fourth house, like for you, home is a business, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, what is the four, what rules your fourth house? It's cancer. Right, so how does that express for you in your relationship to family well, and home? Yeah, I mean, so like my mom was incredibly nurturing, right? Like I grew up in like a very safe space. Like we talk about our feelings, things of that nature. And also like home for me means like those traditional classic home things. Like I want a soft blanket. I want coziness. I want cuddles. I like my, my attitude towards nurturing is very cancerian. You're also very connected to your identity through the lens of like your larger family. 
and your lineage. Like you have a strong connection with your extended family, um, with your ancestral history. Yeah, totally. That is very Cancerian. Yeah, but also very Capricorn, right? Because my fourth house, even though it is ruled by Cancer, answers to my moon in Capricorn. So Mm -hmm. even my childhood, there was this push-pull between like my immediate family being like a very safe, very nurturing space and my extended family being a much more cold Capricorn space Mm -hmm. and having to navigate between the two. Yeah, whereas my fourth house is ruled by Leo, which means that, you know... You were just in your bedroom all the time singing to Madonna songs. I really was. But I think that's because I have Saturn in my fourth house. So whereas I wanted to be like the star of the family, which I was to some degree, um, I then had a baby sister when I was seven. And I felt like my star billing (laughs) was then like, you know, cut. You know, my role was cut. And from that point, I felt really challenged because I was like, but wait, I was the star of this family So I created a very creative, safe space for myself. My Saturn kind of restricted me into my own creativity. Um, Yeah. So I did really want like a joyful, inspired, playful family life, home life. Um, But that Saturn kind of squashed it. Mm. Thanks, Saturn. Well, but you get to reclaim it now. Oh, completely. There's a lot of debate in the astrological community about is the fourth house the mom or the dad? You know, and there's the fourth house and the tenth house. And these two houses can sometimes represent the polarity of mom and dad. But of course, that's very limited and very binary because what if you have two moms? What if you grew up with two dads? So one definition that I think is really useful is that the fourth house can represent the parent that was maybe the least front facing like the fourth house is the parent that was more hidden yeah i think the hidden parent is a really great way to think of it and the 10th house is the parent that's a little bit more visible yeah that helped like integrate you socially totally world yeah so for me interestingly enough my dad is a cancer moon and i would say that he was the more hidden parent Um, You know, you hear me talk about my mom all the time. You don't probably hear me on the show talk about my dad that often. But the truth is, we're very close. I love that man. He's an incredible father, but he is the more hidden parent. And it's interesting that he is a cancer moon and that my fourth house is ruled by cancer. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, same. I feel like my fourth house is more associated with my dad. Um, I think partially because he was kind of the Saturn role in my life. Um but he was definitely much more hidden. I mean, he worked a lot. Like our, you know, he was literally like a detective. So he kind of just like felt invisible at times. Um, and then, of course, interestingly, my Saturn opposition that I had uh, con- coincided with my father's passing. So it did really feel like that was a direct. expression of that confirmation about his placement in that at the bottom of my chart um, and being connected to that fourth house I see energy and isn't your 10th house Aquarius yes which and isn't is your mom an Aquarius sign, yeah so you know it doesn't always work out this nice and neat but in my experience more often than not it does Well, and I just think it's interesting, right? Of course, we have to think about, too, that, like, when these were created back in the day, gender roles were very specific and very ingrained. And so, of course, like, daddy was the more outspoken and out in the world and mommy was hidden at home. And that's just not the case anymore. And, you know, was only the case because it was, like, layered onto societal and cultural, quote unquote, norms So I think now you just have to like personalize it for yourself, which is why I like this kind of like hidden versus sort of more socially, you know, outward facing. Yeah. 
Um, but, you know, to just to get back into like the whole soul of it all, I think it is really important to look at the idea that like the fourth house is like a house of integration, you know, because as we mentioned in that first house, you're just kind of coming out and it's like, oh, I'm an entity, you know, like here I am. And it's just like presence. What did you call me? <laughs> you're an entity. I'm an entity. You are. Um, stop haunting me. Rude. Um, you know, you're just like in presence, right? And then in the second house, you start to tangibly connect to things, right? Oh, this is mine. This is mine. And then the third house is like thoughts and ideas and concepts and like, oh, why do I like this? Right. Why don't I like that? And then the fourth house really becomes like, oh, I'm more than all of this. I'm more than my thoughts. I'm more than my things. I'm more than a body, like, which is on one hand, the connection to the soul, right? But then it becomes that deeper layer, too, of like, oh, I'm one of many as well. Like, it's our first real relationship with others, right? Our relationship to our role in the family and as well as, like, the role we play in, like, the lineage of of our people through time. Yeah, there's something important about crossing the IC line. When you cross the IC, you are in closer proximity to the descendant than the ascendant, which means that you're now forced to deal with other people. When you're close to the ascendant, when you're in houses one, two, and three, it's just about you. But all of a sudden in houses four, five, and six, as we'll discuss in, you know, upcoming episodes, but the fourth house is the first time you have to go, oh, it's me in relationship to who's in your home growing up, who's in your bloodline, you know, your identity is now forced to move out of that safe internal space. And you learn more about yourself by being in relationship with other influences. Yeah, because you do, like, the third house does uh, actually rule siblings. But, you know, siblings are really, I think it's it, it's it's there and, and separated out because that's really, on some level, your first peers that you're learning about what you think, you know, by bouncing off thoughts, ideas, words against them. You're not so much like understanding that oh this is forming an identity yet right and then it's really once you start to like look at yourself you know from the like the picture of the greater family that you really then start to like be like oh right i'm like a person who's a part of a thing and then that does push you into a greater deeper understanding of who you are and why you are and what you've inherited. And I think there's something really interesting too, just in um, looking into the connections of the other houses. And we'll, we'll start to, you know, talk about that as we're kind of backing into um, houses in later episodes. But, you know, the fourth house really is like the first house that like gives us a sense of like inheritance, right? Like, oh, I've inherited this sense of self from these people, you know? So it's like a very kind of like internal, almost psychological inheritance that occurs in that fourth house, which then, as we'll talk later, you'll see that the eighth house is almost is literally like financial inheritance. And then the twelfth house is almost more of like a, you know, a psychic spiritual inheritance, you know, that occurs so it's just like an interesting like dynamic that begins in the fourth house too from like just like you on like a deeper level. Yeah, I think the fourth house is like the wholeness of what could be inherited, you know, like for anything from like genetic disorders to property, which PS is also a big fourth house signification is property. But the eighth house is like what you actually will inherit or like do something with, you know. Totally. Like we can look to the fourth house to get like an understanding of the whole pantry of inheritance but the eighth house is what ingredients you're actually going to use to to make the meal yeah well and it's it's actually really like where your identity and the identity you've been forming up to a certain point collides with all the familial shit right and then you start to realize or you kind of have to like ask the question of like oh is this family going to support or is it going to deny the identity that I have 
found for myself. So the fourth house becomes this place of like, again, either a real support or it becomes a place of real challenge based on how your identity either wants to be welcomed into the family or pushed away. So we can look to our any planets we have in there to get us a deeper understanding. Um, again, like I mentioned, having Saturn in the fourth house, I think that was, for me, like a literal example of that, right? Like feeling like, oh, the identity I believe myself to have, I know myself to have, is not going to be met well in this family. Right. You know, my 10 degree Saturn, which 10, I certainly knew I was gay at 10, gay at 10. That's for damn sure. Um, doing the Papa don't preach music video dance in my bedroom. Would have loved to have seen that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I knew I was a little gay kid. So, but I also knew at that point too, that like, oh, that's not going to go well for me here, which was why I really started to retreat, I think around that time, you know, and, and retreated into my own little world where I could cultivate my identity, learn to understand my identity, but then didn't feel like I could fully express my identity within the family, you know? then kind of had to put on like a version, a very subdued kind of nice boy version of me in in the world that didn't get to exist. Yeah. But also private place. Your fourth house with that Saturn there could also indicate your father too. Mm -hmm. So sometimes planets in the fourth house are representative of people in the family and your experience of that childhood. Yeah. And if you don't have any planets in the fourth house, like me, for example, my fourth house doesn't have any planets, but because it's ruled by cancer, I look to the ruling planet that gives me some more information. So for me, because it's cancer, I go to my moon. Yeah. And so what, you know, if you have Gemini that rules your fourth house and you have no planets there, you'd look to your Mercury to give you just a a better understanding of of your childhood. And maybe it was a really chatty childhood, you know, because it's Gemini. Yeah. And maybe now you like a really chatty home environment you know like conversation nooks are important to you yeah totally whereas angel and i because cancer i mean angel's cancer moon even though you know leo rules angel's fourth house so he likes to be creative from home but we both kind of meet in this cancer idea which is that like our home is a sanctuary like it's a it's a place for emotional and spiritual coming together um and i think as we get older and acknowledge ourselves like it's not a party house, even though in the past like we've thrown parties. Like if it is a party, it's like a cancer party, you know. It's well curated. Yeah. Yeah. I think our I think our um we both meet too, like my Leo gets to be really creatively expressive in our home too. Like I think anyone who's been to our house will say it's creatively decorated, right? Yeah. Also because my fourth house answers to my tenth house moon, I work from home. Well, yes. Which we'll we'll talk about. Tenth house is, is work and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, but I do think the endings component of the fourth house is important just to draw out a little bit more like why. Why do we look to the IC and the fourth house as an indicator of endings? And I think the first reason is because it's it's the sun at midnight, essentially. So it's the end of the sun cycle. You know, it's it's the darkest point. It's also the ending of that first quadrant. Houses one, two, and three. It, it, it's our first ending, essentially. And so these two symbols kind of help us understand that even though we might look traditionally to like the eighth house or the twelfth house or even the descendant as like endings, there's something that happens in the fourth house too that shows us how we wrap things up. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So like if you have Saturn in the fourth house, like you probably delay endings, you know? Like maybe you are a little slow at wrapping things up or, or saying goodbye. Wow. You're really just... Reading you for Phil. Right in my face. Whereas if you have like Uranus or Mars, like maybe you just like ghost. You're just like, well, it's over. Bye. <laughs> you know? Totally. Or if you have Venus there, then like you you tend to endings beautifully. Mm-hmm. And so just considering, okay, like how do I approach endings? 
And it's not just death, which is an ending, but all endings, you know, the ending of a relationship or of a business or even of like a really beautiful day. How do you approach it? Yeah, I was actually thinking more so for myself, like not from the Saturn perspective, but from the Leo perspective, like just even as a writer, like I like to end all of my work with a really inspiring note, right? Like I like it to feel like, oh shit, like there's something, there's a light here, you know, that, that I want to follow, that, that I want to leave for everyone. You know, I remember even like when I directed this musical in college and the writer really wanted it to kind of like sort of end really big and bright and like kind of crash and burn. Like, and she was like, I want it really dark and sad and edgy at the end, like dancer in the dark, you know? And I was like, "Mm, totally. But I was like, what if we juxtapose that? with a large Be Our Guest style musical number around our main character who's going through that. So it's even like she's being like more haunted by all of the joy everyone else is experiencing around her. And meanwhile, she's literally like crawling into like, you know, into a hole of herself, which, you know, for those who got it, raved. (laughs) 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 Raved, I tell you. And those costumes they built, they built me giant dancing cake costumes. Oh it was fabulous. San Francisco State still talks about it. <laughs> you know what they made? I think there's actually a photo from it in the lobby. No. Yes, bitch. Oh, honey, look at you. Um, but anyhow, I just, you know, I'm thinking back on that just as like, oh, that's a very kind of Leo way to want to end something, right? Like, but let's try and make it joyful regardless. Yeah, let's go out with a bang. Yeah. So that's the fourth house. <laughs> We'll jump into the fifth house in our next uh, deep dive episode. But uh, now we will land this boat. This <laughs> land this boat. This cruise ship is coming into the harbor. Yes. We've taken you through a tour of many different emotions, places. But hopefully... You've found home. Yay. And I guess that is important. Maybe we haven't said it that like the fourth house isn't just your home, but it's what makes you feel at home and where you need to feel at home. So again, like for Angel with Saturn in Leo, his work is to feel at home in his creativity. For me, I need to feel at home in my emotions, in my, in my ancestry. Yeah. You know, so for you, just consider what is the sign that rules your fourth house and how can that and what you know about that sign indicate a pathway for you to feel more at home in yourself in this life, in your soul. Yeah, that that sign is a teacher for you on how to connect more closely to your home, your true home, your true home, your soul is your home, your soul home, your soul home, (laughs) your soul, (laughs) soul. Yeah, you're, you're some. Some. This right. week's hottest club is some. All right, you hear the cards being shuffled. You know what that means. It's time to come some. So just take a moment and connect to the sound of the cards by listening in. And just trusting that this message will resonate no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. We're just asking for one card to give us a sense of how we might work with these energies until we meet again. Eight of Wands, which I feel like has been haunting us a little bit of late. I don't know if it's been on the (laughs) podcast or just coming up a lot in readings, but the Eight of Wands is movement. The Eight of Wands shows eight wands that have already been thrown and they're moving through space. And it's one of the only cards in the tarot that doesn't actually have any figure present. There's not even a hand. It's just the wands, which basically kind of says, like, get out of the way. Like, something's in motion, and your job is just to, like, husband it, tend it. So wherever you are in your life, just notice what is already in movement, what has momentum, and what can you do to kind of 
champion that momentum and put it to good use. Because sometimes you might like want to ignore where the momentum is because it's not what you want or it's not the thing that, you know, feels most important to you. But sometimes you just got to work with what is lighting up, what is alive, and let that lead you to the next great thing. So until we meet again, just notice in your life what actually has some momentum behind it. What have I already committed to? What wands have I already thrown, essentially? And at this point, it's too late to catch them. It's too late to pull them back. All I can do is kind of run alongside them until I see where they land. And then you can regroup from there. But it's a it's a good card. I mean, in general, the Eight of Wands is an expansion of your energy. It's an expansion and an evolution of your spiritual resources. And so I would just encourage you... Don't focus on what feels stalled. Focus on what feels like there's movement behind it. And that will help you. I like that. Well, thank you. Thank you for that message. Hope that resonated for y'all out there. It resonated for me. I just want to soft pitch that our retreat. Oh, yes. Is going to be officially announced and open for registration next week. We're going to send out a special newsletter all about it, but it's going to be happening here in Los Angeles. Uh, very special property tucked up into the mountains, June 23rd through the 25th. So that's a Friday evening through Sunday evening. And we um, have a limited availability. We're going to keep it pretty small, just like 15 people. So if you are interested, I would certainly encourage you to register as soon as registration opens so you can reserve your spot. And we look forward to holding some space for you in cancer season, as it turns out. So hopefully you will oh, come yeah. home with some. us. Yes, you'll come home with us. Um, and really just want to thank you all again. I mean, this is like a true soul family that we have here in the Spiritual Gaze community. Um, and just so, so grateful for you all. Grateful for you always looking out for us, for loving on us, for supporting us. Um, I know we've had some some Instagram scammers, some new ones coming out. And a lot of you have reached out to us. Just continue to block them. You know who we are. There's only one spiritual gaze account. If you follow it, you already follow it. And we're, we would never start another one for any reason ever, ever. Can't even imagine a reason (laughs) where that would ever be. Yeah. It would never happen. So if you ever get another one following you, it's It's not us, but it's not us. So just block it and report it. And we appreciate y'all doing that. And and yeah you, you know always, where to find us yeah you always know where to find us at the spiritualgaze.com you can sign up for anything we have going on there and until we meet again this has been your transit through the, the spiritual gaze you better beware hallelujah